This is the MindWise podcast, hosted and brought to you by psychology students from the University of Groningen. Hello listener, whoever and wherever you are. My name is Javr, and I'm pleased to bring the podcast back with this new episode. Almost a year ago, after a slight miscommunication at the faculty's reception desk, I met up in a unnecessarily big and echoey lecture room with Florian Sense. He's a postdoc at the experimental psychology department. In this episode, we get some of his thoughts on his experience from the progression of bachelors masters and PhD degrees here in Groningen, what his PhD project was about, and what he plans to do next. Well, I can't help but spoiling it a bit. After the PhD, he wanted to go on an extremely long hike through USA's beautiful nature reserves. Can't blame him. So in the second part of this episode, we'll jump to present days and talk about his past adventures on the Pacific Crest Trail. You can check the description of this episode to get a link for Florian's blog, where he writes about the hike in some more detail. Enjoy the episode. Hey Florian, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Could you introduce yourself shortly? Yeah, I'm uh, Florian. I'm a postdoc now here at the University of Psychology. I've just completed my PhD uh, a couple of weeks ago was the official defense uh, thesis was done at the end of last year mm-hmm. um, but I've been here for quite a while I've studied here I've done my undergrad here so I did my bachelor's here and then my master's and then my PhD so I've been at the university for a while you've been here for around 10 years now or yeah this is my 10th year yeah did Groningen uh, change over time since you're here um, yeah, it did for me. Yeah. Um, in what ways? I think there's more good food now than 10 years ago. Okay. But maybe that's just because uh, I see more food now. <laughs> but uh, no, and for me it was mostly just because most people are not here for that long. Yeah. Most people are here for shorter periods of time. So for me it was more that my, my group of friends has been renewed every couple of years. So that has been fun for me like lots of new people uh, without me actually having to move anywhere so that was very yeah low effort you went through the process of getting your bachelor's here then your friends became kind of your competition maybe (laughs) then friends again then competition again and friends yeah that's a that's a good point yeah i never thought about it that way but yes in a way i mean there are many many bachelor students and then there are less master students and even less PhD students yeah. and of course not everyone wants to do a master or a PhD but in a way you do compete for a limited number of positions. Yeah. Um, I was always very lucky in the way that I never um, I never perceived it as competition. I never felt like I competed with my friends. To the contrary, especially during the masters, it was a very like small group who were like, uh, so I did the BCN research master which is split into three tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in my track, the C track, um, 
we were seven people that year, so it was very small, and we were hanging out um, almost every day. And those guys are now like some of my best friends. So it's like it never felt like competition. It was always very, um, very much like a community, uh, and that is definitely one of the most attractive things. Uh, for me in this line of work is that you, you're hanging out with a couple of really motivated, really smart people yeah. all the time. And um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. That's, uh, that's my experience. I'm, I'm, I know uh, other people have other experiences, but uh, I've been very lucky in that sense. Yeah. It's pretty widespread that people say that they, yeah, they really enjoy working in this environment and with the yeah, very like-minded people, yeah. I guess. But yeah, I think that's that's mainly it because, like, I mean, you don't do this for the money. You could be making a lot more money somewhere else, and you, you know, there are there are certain expectations and there are certain, um, you know, like conditions around it. But all in all, almost everyone that does this is very intrinsically motivated because you need to provide your own structure. I do. Uh, enjoy being around these people a lot um, yeah um, it does really enrich my life a lot and uh, that's for me the main motivation as well to, to stay in this line of work for now so is this also why you decided to stay in Groningen for me it was more like a I did enjoy living here and there were opportunities here so there was never really any reason for me to leave yeah uh, I mean I did have opportunities I just didn't make the effort uh, just because I, I, I was comfortable here and I enjoyed uh, enjoyed the company of the people here very much. So um, uh, maybe career-wise it would have been smarter to try and move around more, mm-hmm. get more experience at different places. But yeah, I've, you know, career is inherently unpredictable. So I was just going with whatever yeah. <laughs> I felt. Uh, what feels comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, but it's, it's like, it's, there are two sides to this. Like, I do not think that I want to stay here forever. Like, that's not really it. I don't feel like, it's kind of weird because like, as you said, I've been here for 10 years, which is a long time given that, you know, I'm not 30 yet. Um, but I don't really feel like I'm, I'm like, I have roots here or anything. Like, I'd be happy to just pack my stuff and leave um, if there are other opportunities. Yeah. That. It's mainly, it's mainly the people that keep me here that I really enjoy being around and really enjoy working with. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that there are other great people elsewhere. And, uh, <laughs> and I hope that I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll eventually get out of Groningen, but uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not desperate at this point. For now, you're staying here, working here? Well, like for now, I mean, I, like this, like I've, I'm going to be here for another two months and I'm going to go uh, travel for half a year. And then mm. after that, I'll have to see what I do. Okay. Yeah. How was your transition from bachelor's to master's like um, and to PhD? Yeah, for me it was very interesting mainly in terms of um, the type of supervision that you got. Mm-hmm. Like during the bachelor's, my experience, I was also very like introverted and very like um, kind of like kept to myself quite a bit uh, during my bachelor's. So for me the experience was mainly just, you know, there were like semesters and then there were blocks and at the beginning of each block they gave you, you know, a textbook and then you showed up to lectures or not, you know, and you yeah. just like sat somewhere and read these books yeah. or not. And uh, you took an exam, right? It was very like hands off. It was very, um, 
there were a couple of practicals and all that stuff but in a way like I did enjoy it compared to school that you know like no one told you where to be and you kind yeah. of like you could but it did require you to actually you know manage your own time and, and, and do that so for me that was relatively um, relaxing uh-huh. um, even though it probably didn't seem that way at the moment but then towards the transition into the masters as I said we had a very um, very small group of people you know, we had a we had some office space on the second floor where we were most of the time. Um, much more hands-on. Yeah, so it was much more hands-on. You know, like you had a you had a you had a course with seven people and, and a professor, and there was some actual discussion of the material, and and I did really enjoy that um, because it you know it gave you a whole other motivation to actually read the material so that you could engage in these kind of conversations because you do get a lot more out of it discussing with people that obviously have a lot more experience than you um, and I did really uh, enjoy that a lot and then for the for the last part of the masters um, I went to uh, Syracuse University in, in, in the States to do my uh, master's project mm-hmm. and that was also of course an interesting experience to work in another lab and you know like another culture there yeah um, so that was great that that was um, relatively easy to set up uh, in the framework of this master program and then um, transitioning from the masters to the PhD um, uh, I have to admit that that kind of like it took a while for me to actually like catch up with this development like I think in the first year or so of the PhD I did very much still feel like a student Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense that it took me a while to, to kind of like um, take some more initiative myself and to kind of like you know grow more confident in the in the in the kind of the role that that you kind of have to grow into yeah. and I think part of that was also that the people that I was working with I knew from you know my bachelor's and my master's mm-hmm. so I was like kind of like I still like I knew these people from from kind of like a student you know, mentor or teacher type relationship, yeah. and that that relation or those relationships kind of develop over time, of course. Um, and suddenly they were yeah your colleagues exactly. Yeah. Suddenly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And suddenly you're treated as a colleague, yeah. which you know seems nice, but it also comes with certain expectations and responsibilities. And uh, it did take a time, some time for me in the beginning to kind of like you know get to terms with that. You know, I was just like I was just starting this PhD project. And I was like thrown into this whole new thing, and I was just like I had no idea what I was doing, like mm-hmm. trying to figure out all this like new stuff. And uh, you know, it it was not very far removed from you know just like picking up yet another textbook of something that you've never heard about. Yeah, it's just the difference was just that um, you know, in a textbook is kind of convenient because someone has already compiled all the relevant information for you. Yeah. <laughs> and now you kind of have to, you're kind of on your own. You kind uh, of have to write the book. Yeah, exactly. You kind of like have to figure out what the table of content should be for this thing. Yeah. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, like you kind of, you, you slowly grow into this, right? So it's, uh, it takes years and, uh, you, yeah, you suddenly you realize, oh, I, I actually, I can actually do this. And, uh, that's, that's a nice realization. Maybe we can talk about Slim Stumpen? Yeah, sure. Uh, this was, if I'm not mistaken, your yeah, PhD project yeah. topic. Um, so I did not come up with Slim Stumpen. This, is, uh, this comes out of uh, Hedrick van Rijn's line of work. And from what I understand, the way that it started was that Hedrick was doing a postdoc at um, Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. 
and he was sharing an office or office next door or something like that um, with uh, Phil Pavlik, uh, who did some work along these lines of optimizing repetition schedules and uh, so Slim Stumpen is, is basically, a, a, and we call it an adaptive learning system. So the idea is that um, if you want to learn any kind of factual material, like vocabulary or any kind of, you know, the capitals of cities or, well, sorry, of countries or uh, anything like that, like mm. clear, like question-answer type format, um, then it doesn't really make sense conceptually um, to develop some software that just has the same repetition schedule for every student, right? So you have a set of, say, 50 French words that you want to learn, and then what is the optimal order in which you repeat these words for, for, for everyone, and that, that order is not the same for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is that there are big individual differences between learners, and if we can find out which learners are very good and which are maybe not that good, or which words are difficult or which words are easy, um, then we can make sure that we use the time that someone s set aside to study these French words more effectively by building in real time a repetition schedule for these French words that mm -hmm. benefits that person mm -hmm. uh, the most. So it's a system that adapts to essentially the time that a person takes to answer a question. Yeah, so that's the basic idea, exactly. So the idea, like, I mean, the, theoretically, the idea here is that, um, you know, whatever, I, whatever new material you learn has to be represented in your memory, one way or the other. Um, and then we have this, basically, this abstract construct that you could call memory strength. Um, you know, like the, the strength of a certain memory uh, varies over time, and if if, this, if it's very strongly represented, it's easy for you to recall it. It's uh, in your long-term memory. Yeah, or yeah, or short-term, but like you know, like especially yeah, long-term is maybe better uh, to focus on. Uh, you know, like the name of your mother or something like that, right? Like it's it's used frequently. It's 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 strongly activated, and you uh, will probably not have any problems remembering it correctly and quickly. Mm -hmm. Whereas you know, the name of some random person that you went to school with. Um, you know, it might still be somewhere in there in your memory, but it will take a while to get it out and, you know, you might be wrong about it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, that applies on, on different timescales, right? Over years, but also over seconds. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the idea that we want to be using, we're using a continuous uh, probe in a way, right? We're testing, I'm showing you the French word and you have to type in the, the English word. And, and that in a way is like a probe to your memory. Like you, you have to retrieve the memory from your from your memory, mm -hmm. um, and then using uh, your response, and specifically how long you take to, to give a response, and also of course whether the response is correct or not, mm -hmm. we can kind of get a, a feeling for how strongly this memory is activated or you know um, stored um, at this particular moment in time, and then given that we that we can repeat the same word you know multiple times. Uh, we get kind of like a, a response history for this particular word and you know given the the distribution over time like when it has been tested and uh, and how quickly you responded and how accurately you responded we can estimate how how well this particular memory is represented in your in your memory at this point in time and we can we can make predictions from there mm -hmm. saying you know like which word are you are you likely to forget in the next 15 seconds 
So let's make sure that we repeat it now before you've forgotten it. That's kind of the basic idea, right? And if, if all the words, all the French words that I've shown you so far, if the model thinks, uh, you know, they're all, all still, you know, represented well and they're all safe basically uh, for the next 15 seconds, then maybe now is a good time to show you a new word mm -hmm. that you haven't seen yet. Uh, and that way you kind of slowly build up a set of words that you want to learn and the system tries to keep track of all the words that you've been studying and make sure that you they are repeated before you forget them. Um, and if you're still good, it will show you more words. And that's, it seems like this has a lot of applications. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Did it already get to the market? Um, well, there's a, yes, in a way it, 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 it did. There is a, a big collaboration with, uh, with Nordhoff, which is a, a publisher of, of yeah, textbooks here in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have licensed the system. Um, so they have a, they had a, a set of programmers implement this uh, and it's running on their, on their website in a way, right? So like you should, I don't know, like when I, when I went to school, we always had textbooks that came with like CDs or DVDs, right? That had, yeah. uh, um, that had like additional quizzes on them or additional material. And of course, by now all of that has been uh, migrated towards uh, the cloud yeah. and is available on their, on their website. Um, so in a way, like they, they are now using this algorithm, uh, this, this slim stumping system in a way, um, for the end of chapter type tests and learning opportunities for students. So in that sense, it has hit the market because it is in theory available to about 400,000 students in the Netherlands that uh, you know, can use it as part of their um, you know, French and, and German and English and I mm -hmm. think Latin. So like mostly like foreign language uh, classes that they're taking in school. So that's one aspect of it. And then there are a set of other collaborations. Um, one that is maybe most interesting uh, is, is a system that is so, I've not been too involved in this with the actual implementation, but from what I understand, it is basically an app that runs in Nestor uh, for, the, for the students here at the university. Mm -hmm. um, so it has been implemented as a Nestor uh, add-on, or I don't know what ex the exact terminology is there, uh, but it would basically allow um, any instructor on Nestor that has a that creates a course mm -hmm. uh, to add a Slim Stumpen module to their course, and then kind of create their own set of material that should be studied for that course, uh, simply as an Excel sheet in a way where you know one column are the questions, one column are the answers, yeah. and then you just drag and drop it in there, and then all the students in your course uh, can learn that set of materials using the Slim Stumpen. Uh, algorithm. Okay. Uh, so this should roll out um, at the beginning of the next semester, so early September. And yeah, we're very excited to see how that works, you know, how many people are going to use it. And also, uh, it's of course going to be a very interesting uh, set of data for us. Uh, because, you know, for my PhD, I've been running uh, a bunch of experiments, you know, testing specific aspects of the algorithm and of the you know, of the whole of the whole system in a way, but they've all been very targeted sets, you know, with, you know, uh, you know, like typical like sample sizes that you would see, you know, anywhere between like 50 and maybe 80 or so people. Yeah. And of course, it's it's very excited for us to, you know, suddenly get data from 
couple of hundreds uh, students at, uh, you know, in students. a week or you know or maybe even through Nordhof maybe even you know hundreds of thousands of people yeah. that use the system uh, over multiple like over different uh, time scales and so it's very yeah. exciting uh, uh, new data coming in and uh, I'm very curious what uh, how that data will falsify some of the assumptions that we're making and and, and inform new developments uh, how you know, very scientific of you <laughs> yeah i try yeah. <laughs> it would be interesting to see this uh, yeah the long-term impact of your system with, yeah do, do you know much about uh, the formation of long-term memories with this uh, system or no unfortunately not um you know like this is kind of like kind of a lame cop-out i guess uh in the sense that uh you know i've been mainly just been running sonar studies um, um, so there's limited time scales in which you can test people and it's always tricky to kind of try and test people at the beginning of the year and then have them come back for a second session at the end of the year because mm -hmm. the retention rate is just not that high and yeah. um, so I've run a couple of studies in which you know I have like um, retention like I have the time between the learning and the testing might be you know like a couple of days or a week um, or three weeks yeah uh, these kind of situations but um, it would definitely be interesting to have something that is more long term and there are we're running a couple of experiments now that will allow us to do that mm -hmm. so we have the second session of, a, of an experiment uh, will start in about two weeks if all goes well and then that would be a retention interval of about five months okay um, so we are trying to expand things in that direction and kind of like um, you know, look at the more long-term effects um, and, and benefits and, you know, these kind of things. But it's, a, it's yeah, it, it, obviously it takes time. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And resources. And resources, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and planning and, 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 and all of that, yeah. But that's another, like, that's another very, yeah, as I said, a very exciting part of these, uh, of these collaborations with, with bigger existing systems where it's kind of just... It's kind of just running for you in a way, right? And, and maybe every uh, you know twice a year you ask Nordhoff for the data, and then and you can have a look and you can test things and you can explore things in a way, mm -hmm. right? Because I, that's kind of like how I largely like how I see these kind of opportunities in a way, right? Like you have you have a huge data set, um, and then there might be interesting stuff in there. So it's more of a data mining type uh, situation. Exploring, have, yeah. You explore and you and you theorize and you have ideas, and then you have to go to the lab and specifically test these ideas in controlled experimental settings, mm. right? Because these might be you know these might be kids studying their French vocabulary on their phone in the bus on the way to school, you know, and uh, uh, which is great that they have this opportunity, of course, but it makes for very noisy data and it's not very controlled in any experimental sense you know yeah. uh, so it's it's great but it's also um, I think it's a great opportunity to to um, to come up with interesting experiments in the lab uh, to specifically test these uh, ideas that come out of these big data sets yeah. hopefully you know mm, nice I is there anything that you, you would like to focus on or to mention in the podcast because I think we're kind of coming to yeah um, a reasonable end no I'm uh, not sure what else there might be maybe you can tell us what you're gonna do in the future in the future or what's coming up for you yeah what's coming up for me um, in the near future um, I have very specific plans and in the 
slightly, you know, <laughs> slightly more future future. I have uh, very little plans, so yeah. I'm uh, I'm finishing up. So I've 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 my the contract for my PhD finished in November. So I've been I've been a postdoc since November, and um, my con my current contract ends uh, on the first of July. And my year, my plan is to take uh, about half a year off um, and go hiking for half a year. Nice. So that's my that's my big plan. My big immediate plan is I'm gonna take a backpack and uh, just go away from civilization for a little bit. Yeah. So like I'm gonna try and hike through all of the United States, wow. uh, starting at the Canadian border. Yeah. And hiking the Pacific Crest Trail to the to the Mexican border. Yeah. Um, That's a famous uh, trail, right? For, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a it's a relatively well known trail. Yeah, um, and you know it's really a, long. <laughs> it is very long. Yeah, it's uh, and yeah. So there's it's very long, and it's you know it's the Pacific Crest Trail. So you're going through all these through all these like mountain ranges, yeah. and all the national parks. So there's lots of. Uh, it's not only long; it's also like many many, like you're going up and down a lot. Yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that, you know, like just being outside, um, uh, being away from the computer and, uh, you know, just, uh, um, it's more of a physical challenge than yeah. a PhD, I guess. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that, but then, you know, I'll, I'm planning to come back after that, uh, for maybe a couple more months, mm -hmm. finish up some of the projects that are still running here. Um, and then in the, yeah, I'll have to, uh, I have to look for jobs when I get back, I guess. It's kind of like I, I, I do I don't quite know like any specifics of what I want to do, mm -hmm. uh, but I do uh, I do think I want to, you know I want to stay in academia. I do like the idea of doing a postdoc, um, and um, the problem with this is just that you know like you can either find a job um, that you know exists somewhere, um, or you can apply for your own money. Yeah. Uh, both of which costs some time and you know the, the problem of applying for jobs is usually you know if someone gets money and they're putting out a job ad they're, they're usually looking for someone that can start more or less immediately mm -hmm. and since you know I'm going to be gone for a couple of months and then want to finish finish up some stuff here it's, it doesn't really make sense for me to look for jobs now that I can start you know a year from now so I'm, um, it works out quite well for me that I can that I can tell myself you know I just I don't have to worry about it now I'll figure it out when, when I get there uh, and yeah, that's that's kind of the that's kind of the plan for the next couple nice. of months. It sounds really cool, and it sounds like a big difference from the Netherlands to go to <laughs> the mountains. Yeah, so that's kind of like you know I have about I have a little less than two months now before I uh, fly out. So I've been you know trying to like you know prepare myself a little bit, like also physically. You know, mm -hmm. the problem that you have in the Netherlands is just you can't go hiking anywhere. You yeah. know, I can go out for the, you know, like the best way, like, I mean, if you, if you want to go out and hike eight hours a day, you know, how do you prepare for that? I mean, you can't go on a treadmill. We, sure, we have one hill in Groningen. Yeah, maybe you can go up I mean, and down. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't think that's, that is like a real preparation for what I'm getting myself into. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But are you going to go, go there alone? Um, I'm going to fly over alone, yeah. Um, and technically, I guess I'm doing it alone, but there mm. will be a bunch of people doing the same thing. So yeah. I'm sure I'll uh, find groups of people to, you know, uh, hang out with and yeah. do it together with. Yeah. How nice. Yeah, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to, um, I'm looking forward to just like a, a whole different set of experiences, you know, like 
being away, a lot less structured, no, less you know, no calendar, no meeting, no email. Yeah. And also, um, you know, just meeting a whole bunch of random people from all kind of different backgrounds and uh, should be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I wish you a lot of fun, yeah, a lot of... <laughs> Thanks, yeah. And safety. <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try my best, yeah. Yeah, as we mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast, you, after your PhD, you decided to go to the Pacific Crest Trail yes. and to go from Canada to Mexico. Correct, yeah. Please tell us uh, more. So for the listeners, this part is being recorded a little bit less than a year after the first part of the podcast. So Florian is back and... Uh, <laughs> He's safe. <laughs> he came with a big beard. Yep. But, you know, we're curious to know <laughs> what happened and how was it and uh, what kind of uh, experiences you gained from it. Yeah. Um, overall, it was, a, it was a pretty fantastic experience. No, and I, f- I flew over to, um, to the States pretty much immediately. I spent the 4th of July there. Um, with someone that picked me up from the airport mm-hmm. and uh, who also was going to do the hike, uh, which was very convenient because they lived right uh, right out there in Washington, uh, in northern Washington. And his wife was going to drive him out to the trail. So it was very nice. They picked me up and they helped me with the last items that I still needed to buy. And, and then we drove out to trail uh, and started the hike. Yeah, I was on trail for... I think 118 or 119 days Whoa. it took me to complete the trail, which is, uh, yeah, so I just spent basically four months living outside in continuous sunshine. I think I had rain for three or four days okay, um, and two days of snow, but you can basically think of the whole trail as a, um, as a sequence of, you know, three to five day trips where you basically, you buy food. You carry food for that amount of time and and in that time you're pretty much isolated from from everything especially up in the north um, it the last couple weeks like the last you know 700 miles or so after the Sierra Nevada between the Sierra Nevada and the Mexican border in Southern California um, things were a bit more um, they weren't quite as remote so you had cell phone service and, and mm. internet and there were a lot more roads and that kind of stuff yeah. um, so it didn't feel quite as it didn't really feel like a wilderness but up north it definitely did and definitely in the Sierra Nevada as well where you yeah where you're away from everything and there's nothing there so town town stops were mostly used to um, recharge electronics and eat as much as you can and buy more food and then if you still had time you might shower or wash your clothes and stuff like that <laughs> mm, were you traveling you mentioned you went there with someone who took you with the car and they were yeah. also planning to do they it. were also planning to to hike but they were a little bit older and not quite as fit um so i mean we never really planned to hike together we just yeah. started off together but then yeah sometime after lunch on the first day i kind of um, took off and uh but i did meet someone else um 
like that night on my first night um, there and we we did hike together for a large part of the of the trail Mm -hmm. Um, I injured myself a little bit in the beginning so I had to like take a two days off and then it took me a while to catch up with him again but um, I think we'd hiked maybe 1700 out of the 2600 miles together Mm. Um, and then towards the end he wanted to go a bit slower and I just kind of wanted to be done and go as fast as possible so we kind of split up and I hiked the last 700 miles or so um, partially alone and partially with other people Um, so I was lucky to 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 meet uh, Jeff um, who I hiked with for most of the time and we had kind of very similar pace and very similar priorities and so it worked out really well shout outs to jeff <laughs> yeah yeah i couldn't have done it without him yeah. <laughs> no it was a it was definitely a very interesting experience overall i'm i'm glad i did it and it's very it's it's very surreal kind of looking back at it now and it's it's kind of strange because i i came back and and nothing much has changed here you know as it as it always is if you go back if you go away for a while so it was very it was very easy to kind of just return to my my normal day-to-day life so it's like almost you know like looking back at it now it's it's it feels so surreal because the experience is was so different from my day-to-day life Mm -hmm. that it almost feels like it like the memories i have don't really belong to myself yeah like they're almost like a memory of like a movie or something where i just like i do have all the memories of like doing these things and seeing certain things and but it it feels strange that they should be my memories you know because it seems so remote or so far away from how i normally live my life Mm -hmm. um so yeah every now and then i need to kind of like you know, remind myself, no, like, this is actually something that I, like, I did, and this is not just, like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's weird dream. to kind of, like, you know, like, merge it with the rest of your autobiographical memory. There's almost, like, a little, yeah. a little uh, dissociation there. I did enjoy it a lot, uh, but I also don't think I'm going to do anything like this ever again. <laughs> okay. Okay. Not, uh, not anything of that scale, I don't think. Uh, it, it sounds very grand. Yes. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty uh, pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so I think next time, I don't know when uh, when I said said goodbye to Jeff, we both uh, agreed that we should do this again with less hiking and more camping. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, yeah, we did not. So you have to imagine, you know, like most days, by the time you get to camp. It's literally just you, 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 at least for me, I mean, you know, I, I really pushed my boundaries, which was one of the things I wanted to do. But that really meant that pretty much every day at the end of the day, you sit down, you make your camp, you crawl into your sleeping bag. And, and while you make your dinner, like you're so exhausted that it's hard to sit up. Yeah. So you kind of just lying down and shoveling food into your face. And then you try to get your eight or nine hours of sleep and then... You get up again the next day and, uh, you know, the first half hour is just pretty miserable. And then your body kind of like accepts its faith and uh, <laughs> you, uh, yeah, you do the next uh, couple miles. And uh, As I said, it's it's not very enjoyable in, in any physical kind of sense. You are very in, in, in a lot of discomfort most of the time. But on the other hand, it's a very kind of like 
it's very rewarding because you get to spend time with people that are nice mm. and interesting. Uh, you build pretty close relationships pretty quickly because you're just out there doing this ridiculous thing, which immediately gives this weird bond with people. You meet people from very different walks of life, which is also interesting because normally, normally, you know, I'm just surrounded with academics and, and out there you mostly go through the very rural, remote parts of, uh, of uh, the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, what is interesting to me is just kind of like out there on trail like all your problems are kind of very small yeah. and immediately solvable, right? So all you really need to worry about is, do I have enough water? Do I have enough food? You know, can I camp here? Um, are there any wild animals that I need to be aware of and that kind of stuff? So it's like all very like, you know, you kind of like you learn how to solve these problems like very quickly. And then, uh, yeah, that's kind of all, all there is to worry about. You know, all you need to do is just literally just get up every day and walk, you know, so on this trail that is right there. You know, it's like, yeah. um, and every mile you do is a clear mile in the same, in like in the correct direction, right? So you have, a, you have this insanely big goal of, you know, walking these hundreds and hundreds of miles. But still, you know, even if you only do 10 miles a day, um, you've done 10 miles in the right, right? So I'm like, your goals are very obvious and it's very obvious kind of how to achieve them, mm -hmm. which is very different from normal life where it's harder to kind of figure out what exactly is it I want to achieve, let alone how do I do that? Mm -hmm. And then you also have to figure out is whether whatever you're doing is actually moving you in the right direction or not and mm -hmm. how far in that direction you know so it's like none of these uncertainties you have on trail so your life is extremely simplified and you find your own routine and you yeah you just kind of crank out the miles and enjoy the company and the amazing views mm -hmm. and uh try to ignore all the pain <laughs> in your feet and shoulders <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the thing, you really have to want this. It's not something that you can just do half-heartedly. Mm -hmm. But if you set your mind to it, it's, some, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a very, very good experience. I would, I would recommend it if... You know, it's always, it's always kind of interesting. It's like, if you tell people, like, you know, if you told, told people, like, what you were doing, you know, people would ask you, oh, you're hiking, you know. Because they see that you're hiking, you know. So you're hiking, where are you going? You know, because most people you meet is like, oh, yeah, you know, we parked our car down there. We're doing this little, like, five-mile loop, you know. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's, yeah, so where are you going? Well, I'm, you know, I'm going to Mexico, you know. <laughs> and then people are like, what? And then, you know, like, and then it's always interesting, like, people, people that have to ask why you would possibly do something like that, yeah. probably don't understand you know like and they would never do anything like this themselves so i think if you have to ask why you would want to do something like that then this is not for you <laughs> but you know if you have a moment and you just kind of go on youtube and you look you look up a pacific crest trail through hike video summary or something like that which will just give you you know the highlights of all the all the nature and all the sceneries and uh and it will be immediately obvious to you why you should do this. Um, yeah. 
Um, and yeah, I was very fortunate that I could kind of basically just come back here and um, kind of pick up my projects where I left them and kind of keep working on stuff, um, which I'm very excited about. Uh, so that was also kind of like one of the main main things for me, like on a personal level, is was um, this idea of kind of like getting out of academia for you know a, a, a period of time and really being out and really being able to take you know a step back um, and kind of think about my priorities in life and my motivation to spend time in certain ways, you know. Which made me realize that I do really enjoy my work and that I was very happy to get back to my work. So that was a um, a good thing to kind of verify for myself. That this is not just some kind of Stockholm syndrome kind of thing where I'm just <laughs> trapped in this world and I just don't really know. Uh, <laughs> just kind of conditioned to, uh, to pour all my time and energy into it. Yeah. But I do actually like genuinely enjoy it, which... Um, made me excited to come back to work and uh, and keep working on, 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 on the projects that are running. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, and that's what I'm hoping to do for the rest of the academic year. And then I'll have to find a new job, which, you know, will hopefully just happen automatically. <laughs> but probably not. But uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Okay. Well... Thank you very much for the lovely conversation. Yeah, thank you for your interest. If you like this podcast and want more content from the psychology department, be sure to check out the description for links to our blog and social media outlets.